Previously on Storyological. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh shit, it turns out I'm actually magic. This great sense of brutality and sweetness. You will believe a man can fly. You're sounding more and more like the radio host out of Parks and Rec. <laughs> this is Storyological, a podcast about amazing stories. That we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerud. And I'm E.G. Kosh. My pick for this week is Bird Woman by Pimmy Aguda in Omanana from last year, let's say October 1st, 2015. <laughs> let's just say that. Bird Woman is a story about a woman that was born unhappy. That is actually the first line, Felicity was born unhappy. And what happens is we learn more and more about how unhappy she was in her life. And the story centers around a moment today where she meets a magician in the square. And what I love about this woman, Felicity, who has been unhappy throughout all of her life, is every day on her birthday, which this day is, she likes to do one thing that is very out of character for her. So on one birthday, she bought a beautiful red dress and looked at herself in the mirror. Uh, on one birthday, she sent everyone home from her tailoring shop and sat and ate ice cream by herself until she saw the uh, white plastic bottom of the bowl and the morsels set heavy in her stomach. And today what she has decided to do is to give her attention to this magician when she does not believe in any magic whatsoever. And after watching him go through a series of very, to her, boring and disinteresting card tricks, he asks if there are any volunteers for his next trick, to which everyone says, what is that? And he says, uh, to fly. And everyone is like, ha ha ha, that is ridiculous. And no one volunteers, except for our hero Felicity, who steps forward because she thinks that the magician believes no one will volunteer to fly, and so he'll be able to escape without any embarrassment yeah she totally does it just to call his bluff and in no way believing that it's a thing that's going to happen and yet yeah and yet it happens and yet felicity does magically turn into a bird woman which shocks both the crowd and the magician who <laughs> runs away <laughs> fleeing <laughs> oh shit from his so i'm actually power. magic yeah and well I mean, the reason why I love the story is because she does turn into a bird woman and she does fly and it is amazing and you feel this great lifting grace. And then, like a lot of birds, she flies into a window <laughs> and then falls to the earth broken. And not only does she fall to the earth broken, she is a woman that turned into a bird and then fell and turned back into a woman. So everyone in the village of the town uh, believes that she's a witch and begins to stone her. Yeah, so if uh, she hadn't died from the fall, she would have died from the stoning that followed it. Yeah. We don't actually know that she dies, but it's fairly heavily implied that her body sinks into the ground, uh, which generally is a marker of death. Yeah. Or or a horror movie where you've been buried <laughs> yeah, alive. Buried alive. Um, but the, the last thing of the story is not that she died, and that's the, the reason why... I adored it was because you have the unhappiness, you have the brief moment of flight, and then you have the pain. But what stays with both the woman and you as the reader, hopefully, is the sense that she is she has changed. She is now a person that has flown, and that sense of grace doesn't leave her even as she is... Uh, is there any kind of fair stoning? I was going to say unfairly stoned. <laughs> I would just, I just go oh, with yeah. stoned. 
Yeah, it is that that moment of freedom, that moment of letting go of your emotional baggage to kind of transcend what you've grown up with, the the, frankly, emotional abuse that she suffers at the hands of her parents, she suffers at the hands of her cousin uh, as they room together for a long time. And it's turned her into this kind of emotionally calcified human being who doesn't reach out to anybody, doesn't connect with anybody, um, but just has this one opportunity a year for something to go different, something to be a little exciting and out of her control. And in this moment of vulnerability, she is she meets the exactly the right person. She meets this magician who probably who it seems doesn't know that he's magic, doesn't know that he has this ability. And somehow together, they they create this situation where she manages to let go of her baggage. Beautifully, by the way, represented by how hard she clutches onto her handbag as she goes through the market. <laughs> I love that. She is literally clutching at her baggage, at her handbag that contains all of this pain and fear from her childhood. And then as she's turned into a bird and soars away, she sees that someone has snatched her bag and she's no longer carrying it. And she she tries to cry out, but she doesn't recognize the voice of the of you know, the person that's speaking because she's a bird. This to me, was I'm, I'm waving my hands, readers. I'm waving my hands at Chris as I get super excited about this because it was so surprising to me how how powerful this story was and its imagery was as I, as I thought about it and what it meant. She doesn't recognize the voice of the bird, the voice that comes out of her as she's flying. She doesn't understand who it is or how it works and to me that spoke so clearly to how when you're carrying a lot of pain and anger that has built up uh, over a period of sadness or abuse that you you can't conceive of being any other way you can't conceive of any other emotional reaction of speaking with a different kind of voice and that kind of foreignness is exactly represented by this this translation of her into a bird and not being able to understand. Oh, yeah. so perfect. That transformation was beautiful, and it, w- it was marked so clearly by the the earlier emphasis in the story on her physicality, on her big feet and round shoulders and downturned mouth and the heavy footsteps with which she walked and her one birthday where she bought that red dress, her looking at herself in the mirror and seeing her fat and bulging and wishing she could just slice away all the bits of herself until there was only the dress left. And the power of the transformation into the bird, uh, yeah, absolutely. Part of it was her unrecognizableness. And part of it, too, that I really appreciated um, Aguda captured about moments of grace in a life, however it comes to you, is is the beauty of it and the pain of it and the the loneliness of it the the being so far above everyone else that you feel free and yet there's this exquisite line where she realizes that there is nobody there nobody to witness what it is for a bird to smile it is so it is so tragic that that sense of nobody being there and her not being able to recognize herself is to some extent what leads to her eventual fall because she flies toward the building because, she, God, she feels so different and so amazing. She wants to see herself 
and in trying to get closer and closer and closer to this image of grace that has overtaken her, she, she just flies into the building. I left this story with a, this great sense of brutality and sweetness. Yeah, I, I was stunned by how perfectly it walked that line. Like She is such an unsympathetic character in the way that she is described. You don't, you know how sometimes people say, oh, this character isn't likable. And like that's somehow perceived as a bad thing. Well, this character is <laughs> not likable in any way. She's kind of a Scrooge. And yet when she, because you can see where she's come from and why she is this way, you are still buoyed by this joy when she when she takes flight and when you know she has this stimulus from the from the magician the street magician to to be able to step out of her own perspective to be able to see what life could be like from a different point of view and ah whatever horror somebody has however unlikable somebody is it's still joyful to see to see that kind of transformation yeah, and in particular, I think the discussion of likability, which we may have talked about on the podcast, is fairly empty, pointless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would go with it, but it is something you hear people uh, talk about. Yeah, it is something you hear people talk about. And I think both of us as readers, we're not really interested in whether somebody's likable or not. We're interested in whether or not they're interesting. Mm, and, and whether I can empathize with them. Something else that uh, you and I have talked about before, but not on the podcast, is how a great deal of stories can basically be understood by a fairy tale structure. And this story has that. And that more or less, the story begins, once upon a time there was a woman who was unhappy. Here are the ways she was unhappy. And then one day, something mm -hmm. strange happened. And the story's beginning, that kind of once upon a time beginning, is a, a fantastic example of how to do summary, how to sum up a person's life in a way that is interesting and captivating, which is to hit on very specific moments. So she was born unhappy. Why was she unhappy? You should definitely read the beginning of it because it's an awesome opening paragraph. She was conceived when her parents were young and unmarried. They wedded immediately, then proceeded to use religion to punish themselves for as long as she lived with them. There were evening prayers filled with loud supplications to God to forgive them, while she knelt there, feeling every inch the mistake they perceived her to be. There was the remittance of 50% of their income to the church, so that she never got those new shoes or money to go on the class excursion to Aluma Rock. So you have, you have the image of her kneeling with her parents, feeling horrible, the 50% of their income, the new shoes, the money. And then in the next paragraph, when she grew up unhappy still, is just hitting very specific things of a tiny room, of slaps and kicks, of her bag heavy with money. Where, where was it? You, you mentioned earlier today something about how new authors shouldn't... How somebody was tweeting about how authors should avoid starting their uh, stories with summary. C.C. Finlay was, was having, uh, not a rant, uh, a joyful discussion of what it is to be an editor and, and listing all of the way, uh, a, lot of, a lot of helpful things about what turns him off of stories, about why stories don't grab him. And he was saying that a lot of the reason why a lot of stories don't grab him is simply because they begin by describing, um, describing a character, describing a life, summarizing. Mm. Basically, begin in summary mm. rather than a specific moment. And yet, this is an example of a story that does that, but 
brings you into who that character must be and their pain like, right from the second line you think oh god this poor woman also the, the magic like this is the thing that is difficult to do in movies because what the story does is it gives you two paragraphs that take you from the moment of her birth all the way up to today when she is a middle-aged woman and you don't even notice as a reader you're just like okay fine whereas if in a movie you <laughs> saw that in three minutes you'd be like what yeah you'd be reeling from <laughs> montage fatigue very much um emma you know do you know icarus the the dude who thought flying to the sun would be an entertaining notion. <laughs> yeah, with with wings glued on. Yeah. <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? Um, this story just it made me think about about all of the narratives of flight that exist in the world and how it's just stuck with us this whole time. This this desire for transcendence that seems perfectly encapsulated in, in the way birds flit around. Because um, we just assume that they do not have anxieties, I guess. <laughs> Anything that's throwing itself off the top of trees constantly. Must be so brave. Yeah, must be fine. Um, and it reminded me about an article I read recently about when uh, Richard Donner was trying to get somebody to write Superman with him. And the guy was like, I don't want to write about a comic book character. This is dumb. And Richard Donner came and gave this whole speech that kind of boiled down to the tagline that got stuck on the movie, which was, you will believe a man can fly. That's how this movie's going to work. So my pick for this week is Carmen Lau's two stories. Yeah, that's right. I snuck an extra one in. Um, two pieces of flat, flash fiction that are in her. <laughs> two pieces of flat fiction. <laughs> no, <think> flat fact. <laughs> flax fiction. Like, it's all about the flaxseed, man. Mm -hmm. Can you even write a story about flaxseed? I don't know. Anyway, two pieces of flax. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> fuck puddles. <laughs> Buddly bums. <laughs> Two pieces Tiddly of winks. flash. <laughs> Fuck off. Two pieces of flash fiction in Carmen Lau's collection, The Girl Wakes. Um, one called The Saints of Rabbits and the other called Inside the Witch's House, which together amount to less than 450 words. So that is my excuse for picking two stories. Um, so The Saint of Rabbits is... Uh, a tiny little story where that posits a universe where there are so many rabbits that they had special days for killing them. Uh, except for the you that this story addresses, uh, who doesn't like to kill them. She smuggles them out of the, the killing ground and takes them home and lets them breed. And then after this little scene of murder and saving, uh, you get these tiny fragments of her life, which is... Hideous and horrible. Almost, in fact, as horrible as Felicity's life from the previous story. Uh, you get uh, a view of how she semi-blinded somebody called Jenny by poking her in the eye. She becomes accidentally pregnant. She dates men thrice her age. It doesn't sound like she has a happy time at all. And then it gets right to the end of this sad life. And still, the you that this story addresses just wonders why those goddamn rabbits won't stop saying thank you for saving them. And you get to the end of it and, and you just you feel rocked with that emotion, with the, the, two, the two ideas in the story in tension with each other. So on the one hand, this girl is a savior and has saved these rabbits who are eternally grateful through her whole life. And then on the other hand, She's had this really horrible, painful life that has been forever plagued by the rabbits saying thank you, as well as all this other difficult stuff that's happened. And 
it just really like punched me in the heart. Mm. I had a very different reaction to the end of the story, which is when it when it when it hit with that run through of what happened the rest of her life, which is just one sentence, which is. You took them in your arms. This this would be the rabbits. You mm-hmm. took them in your arms and stuffed them under your shirt, feigning some roiling state of pregnancy, ran to the back of your father's house and released them in the yard where they burrowed. And every night of your remaining childhood, even after you started going out with men thrice your age, even after you got knocked up and had to kill the baby, even after you scratched Jenny's eye so viciously in a fight, she was half-blinded her whole life, you could hear them singing, All hail the saints of rabbits. We thank you for our lives and wonder why the hell they wouldn't shut up. Now, uh, partly now, I just started to wonder, since it's a flash, is that too much of a story to read out loud? Have we violated <laughs> copyright? Um, but the other thing is that I, I wondered if part of the tension of the, of the last line was not just the rabbit saying, all hail the saints of rabbits, but that she held on to this idea that she had done something amazing and great. Her one and, good moment. Yeah, her one good moment. And somehow that could be put up as equal against all of the things that she also willfully did like she did this one willful good thing and then here are these three things that are maybe poor decisions but no matter how poor her decisions were she could still hear the rabbits cheering for her like yay you are the saint of rabbits she didn't seem happy about them cheering for her um no no she didn't seem happy um but i i guess when i got to the end of the story I, i did not necessarily think that the rabbits were saying it so much as in her mind, she was hearing them say it, and she didn't know why she couldn't make herself stop saying it. The the summary sentence that you read out about all of the terrible things that happen in her life, every fragment of it could be expanded into a, into a paragraph or a story, but because it's flash, you just get these tiny clauses, and you're left wanting more, wanting to know why she did those things, how how they happened, and it just pow-pow. And then it's done. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask what what the emotion you were left with, what the the insight was, what the. I don't think I was left with insight. I was left with a lot of powerful feelings and questions about how all of these incidents in her life were related, because that's what that sentence seemed to be telling us that that she saved these rabbits, and then she went on to have these terrible situations in the rest of her life. And by stringing them all together, were they somehow related? Was she haunted? How how were these moments the fundamental components of this girl's life? I just felt like she was such a fascinating character hmm. that that's what I, that what I was left with was just intrigue. I am enjoying sitting with your description of the ending because that, that lingering emotion of someone who who has had maybe some horrible things happen in their life. It is a kind of delicious cutting irony, if that is what irony means. I don't even know what irony means anymore, that that she is haunted by one good thing that she has done, like the idea of a good deed haunting a person through the dark kind of alleyways of the rest of their childhood. The second piece of Flash by Carmen Lau is called Inside the Witch's House, and it's Uh, Hansel and Gretel story but in this story Hansel and Gretel instead of being eaten by the witch they consume first her house then her garden and then eventually the witch herself and then it the story transforms and instead of being about Hansel and Gretel against 
the situation or the witch. It becomes about them kind of against each other. And eventually Gretel eats Hansel after tricking him into eating himself into a food coma by saying that he can eat her if he manages to eat the whole house. And it's so full of a kind of powerful gluttony that I, I almost felt greasy by the end of the story. It, it just evokes such a strong feeling of being overfull and regretful of how much you've eaten that, yeah, it was very successful in doing that for me. Yeah, I enjoyed this one possibly more than the other. And I thought about why a lot. And so uh, the the Saint of Rabbits kind of, you hit on her decision to save the rabbits at the beginning of that paragraph. And then you get all of that imagery of the bad things that happen. So to a certain extent, I was like, oh, it's like this, this story of the Saint of Rabbits is giving us a picture of perhaps a deluded or just, as you said, intention, a contradictory mind kind of ripped apart by these two things that happened. And something that uh, in the witch's house does though instead is it it manages in its flash to give us pictures of these scenes and pictures of choices that the characters are making such that at the end of the story there you have tension of what the choice will be of what will happen and that was was remarkable there's a very deep yearning underneath this piece whereas the other piece doesn't have that necessarily this is driven by Gretel's desire to stop running, to stop lying, to finally, for her and Hansel to be able to lead more normal lives. And yet the way she goes about it is to A, desire to be eaten by her brother, and then B, to change her mind and think, no, actually, I'm going to eat him. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good choice. That is how we will stop running, is by destroying this partnership. It's like the worst buddy cop movie ever. Yeah, yeah, and it... And this particular flash partakes of something that felt to me like it could be important or, or, or a trick to flash, not trick in a bad sense, but trick is in magic. Um, that by beginning with something familiar to us, like in this case, Hansel and Gretel, you have, you have a density of image or idea already on the page. We already have a set of emotional associations with these people. And in the story, you can can tear it away from us in ways that are intriguing and realign things for us and it it made me think that like we call it flash fiction and kind of what i want when i read something short is for kafka had this thing where he said that i think you meant novels but it should be like a an ice pick or ice axe whatever you call it uh like an ice axe that cleaved your mind in two and I don't really expect that much from flash fiction necessarily. My mind cleaved in two. But it is the same sense. Like I want a a feeling of fresh eyes. I want it to feel like cold water has been thrown on my face and now I see the world in a in a different way. Mm. And uh and something from the story lingers with me a long time after. Which seemed like what happened for you with Saint of Rabbits. And she she does that as well in this one. Not only achieving it, but then kind of putting a full stop on it by the last line, which is, everything was different, everything so marvellously changed. And you're left with this sense of repleteness, of completion, of kind of satisfaction that's inherent inside of the story's narrative, not just to you as a reader. Very cleverly done. Thanks for listening, readers.
If you have enjoyed it at all, please, readers, look us up on iTunes and leave us some of your love there in the shape of a review. As often happens, readers, we have failed to discuss all of the stories in the known universe, and most likely we have also failed to say all of the things possible to say about these stories. If you have any suggestions of stories that we should read or any thoughts on the stories that we have discussed today, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Storylogical. Which is story. Like the word. Oh, I forgot what came next. <laughs> and logical, like a moonshot. You can follow Emma on Twitter. She is at EGKosh. And you can follow Chris on Twitter at Kuvols, C-U-V-O-L-S. And you can also find links to all of our random references and our previous episodes. As well as appropriate gifts and to subscribe to our newsletter and this podcast. At our home on the web. Storylogical.com. See you next week. Happy reading. Yeah. Oh, 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 and yeah, well, we'll just, um, the brutal and sweetness. I don't know, I'll probably cut all of this, but, uh, for a story filled with unhappiness and stoning, there is so much hope in the idea of kind of no matter how your life goes, if even just one day a year you put yourself out there, it's possible that something miraculous might happen.